Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm along uh, with Father Kurt Nagel. Father Nagel and I are together again by ourselves. Father Lewis is serving high school youth on an apologetic or an apologetics camp, which sounds pretty cool to me. What do you think about that, Father Nagel? Actually, I think it sounds like a really good idea. Um, I've never been part of that, uh, part of something like that, but I've often wondered why we don't do a little bit more apologetics uh, in, our, in terms of our formation of youth and also, frankly, seminarians. So I think, I think it's a good idea. Is that, is that uh, Father Lewis's own idea? So it's something that came from—I'll tell you what. Why don't we talk about this? We'll just launch off with this as we get started uh, in the program. We're up against our first break. When we come back, Father Nagel will uh, lead us with a scripture and a prayer and get going. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out. DrTomCurran.com, DrTomCurran.com. This is Tom Curran, and I am with Father Kurt Nagel, and Father Nagel is going to lead us with the scripture and a prayer. And prayer is going to be one of our topics today, so I thought I'd start with chapter 11 of Luke 1 through 4. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone in debt to us and do not subject us to the final test. Lord, I ask you to bless us as we each are called to form this relationship with you. And uh, so make us prayers, determined, humble, courageous, um, faithful. And so let this time we share together be um, a help and an aid that we ask these things through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Nagel. Yeah, today uh, we are going to talk about prayer. We're going to tease out a variety of insights uh, from the Catechism, but connected to our own lives of faith. And it's also going to hopefully be a great blessing to you, brothers and sisters, to, to be able to focus and reflect a bit more on different like themes and dynamics and, and ways that prayer unfolds in our lives. And so prayer is going to be deeply immersed into how we actually look at life, how we approach life, and what we do in the midst of life's circumstances and difficulties. So, But uh, before we dive into that, uh, let's go back to the uh, question that you were raising Father Nagel, which was, did Father Lewis come up with this all on his own? My understanding, and I'm, I'm ready to be corrected, but my understanding is that there was a group of high school youth that was in the Boise, Idaho area mm. that had come up with the, the name Apologetti and had uh, started to gather young people together, high school kids, and they would bring in like nationally known speakers who were uh, principally apologists, and um, would give them, you know, these in-person formation sessions and help them to become equipped and, and to understand the, ver- the various things that were, um, uh, you know, that are involved in understanding apologetics as a part of living out our life of faith. And um, 
Fun Lewis was like, hey, let's get in on that. So brought down a big group one year, then ended up bringing down a big group next year and was like, hey, wait a minute, we're pretty much half the group. Why don't we just do this on our own up here? So they up here started to do this, and they call it the St. Justin Martyr Apologetics Group. Mm-hmm. And they, um, uh, right now, well, as we're recording, are in the midst of their like three-day, three-and-a-half-day summer camp. Well, once again, they bring in an outside speaker or speakers, and they um, have a chance to, again, kind of fire these kids up about being Catholic and helping them to answer objections and overcome uh, misunderstandings about the faith and how to do that well. And along the way, they also, obviously, they'll do fun things, and they'll have um, lots of spiritual activities, obviously Mass, confession. And so it's uh, my kids have gone um, the last two years, two or three years they've gone, and um, I've always loved it because you get to be with a bunch of other high school kids that are like you, and yet you're coming together precisely because of your Catholic faith and, and really around that very specific task yes. of apologetics. So that, there you go. Does that help answer that question? Yes. Is it uh, co-ed? For instance, oh yeah. So you know, it sounds like a great idea. It, 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 one of the things I am familiar with is Quavadis days, which is vocational centered, um, and so that's usually. I think there's, there, I think there's a Quavadis days out there in the east part of the state too, but it's uh, it's a boys' camp. But the speakers are dealing with uh, discernment, vocation, the priesthood, etc. But I've often wondered why we don't do more of what you're just talking about there of. Uh, because these kids, they're living, breathing apologetic targets, uh, you know, in terms of if they are Catholic in their schools or in their society or their teams, sport teams, whatever it is, to be able to have some sort of grounding in the whys uh, of our faith. Again, I don't think we do very, a very good job at that on the whole. So that might be something that would be interesting to bring on to the west side of the state, too. Yeah, and oh, he, I'm sure, would be very, um, you know, thrilled to talk to you about that. They, um, and this group doesn't just meet once a summer. They actually end up meeting once a month. Uh-huh. And it, it's not promoted as a high school youth group that's right. more parish-based. Right. It's promoted as an apologetics group. Exactly. And they actually put a, it's interesting, they put an emphasis on the dads. Uh-huh. So... The way that the the monthly groups work, and I won't get into the weeds too much, is that they want the dads to be with the, with their kids as the presenter is presenting, and they often will present in a way that's um, like live dialogue, right. where they'll have someone taking up the position that they are um, defending or or attempting to address, and then they'll have a Catholic who's responding to that person. And the men are supposed to be there with the idea that they're, you know, their job to lead, provide, and protect their kids. And the, and the women in the back are making spaghetti. So that's why it's called a polygetti, is that the tradition has been come and bring salads and snacks, but it, the, the dinner that's going to be served is spaghetti. Keep it simple. Uh-huh. And, and so that's the monthly event. And, and that, again, has tended to draw, I mean, 50 high school kids. Well, and that's pretty cool. And I do think it's wise. To, it's not a, a parish youth group event per se, because people have a, sometimes a mixed impression of what that might be. 
But if you if you approach it as apologetics, you're going it won't interest everybody, but it will interest a segment of people for a whole region. And I think there would be something attractive in terms of that. That this isn't just a parish-based thing. This is uh, it's it's very intentional. It has its, it has a focus, and it's not just about me, you know, general formation. It it's about this intellectual be able to understand and defend the faith. So I think there'd be something valuable there. Yeah. So when you think about the, the like the flow of the church's mission, you have like the initial dialogue where you're you're just being salt, light, and leaven in the community, and that eventually opens up opportunities to proclaim the gospel. So that's more direct evangelization. Along the way, then you also have the need to answer objections. Uh, let me let me take that out for a second, and then say once people respond, then you have the need to catechize them or form them and initiate them into the faith, and then eventually they are welcomed into the community and reach the center of their faith, and then they're formed to be able to go out, and then they themselves are called to evangelize, and uh, beyond that to be salt, light, and leaven in the world. So there's the there's sort of that flow of the process of mission, uh-huh. and apologetics can play a part in almost all of those different moments. Right. You know, when you're out there just, you know, living your life, you might get asked questions once they're told you're Catholic. Right. And you've got to remove those obstacles before they're open to hear a proclamation of the gospel. Once they hear the gospel, now they're like more curious, but they have big objections before they want to go further in. And so apologetics plays a part there. Same thing with catechetics. And then once you get, uh, you know, to the heart of worship, which is the heart of our faith, and you move out. And all of a sudden, apologetics can play a part in helping you be equipped as a disciple, not only in your own faith, but then equipped to be able to go out and begin to evangelize and live your life of faith. So apologetics is kind of this stream that runs alongside the the principal moments of mission in the life of the Church. And yet, you know, it's true. Um, all of that's true. And so in some ways, it, it, apologetics for everybody. Um, we should all be able to give reason for the, you know, give reason why we believe as we do. But, you know, there, there are some people who really get into it. I think it has to do with temperament and their own experience of life and maybe their own interaction with the faith journey. And, and some people are not, it's not something that they're drawn to do themselves necessarily, but you still need to do it. Um, still need to have that information. So I think it's kind of interesting that apologetics, as I've seen it, I think it's sometimes it's, it's too much the case that we leave it in the hands of those who are really, really into it and, and think this is the, the be-all and end-all, as opposed to making sure, hey, this is for everybody, because we're all, if we're called to be evangelists and, we, and this is part of that, then we all have to have at least a grounding in it. There'll be some who are experts, so-called, or really on fire for this, but we should all have some taste of it. Yeah, that's true. That's a, that's a very good point. Um, I was thinking of a, a slightly different, um, let's call it, uh, challenge. And I actually raised this with Father Lewis um, when we were talking about it um, uh, one time on the program. And that was when people too closely identify the work of evangelization with apologetics. Yes, yes. Or the work of catechetics with apologetics. So meaning that, like, let's talk about the Eucharist and... You spend your time learning about how John 6 is literal and not symbolic, right? Yes. And is that really the heart of what we want to teach Catholics about the Eucharist? And and I'm just cherry-picking one example, right? Right. But the apologetic mode of evangelizing or catechizing is 
actually not going to be the the healthiest way for right. Catholics to learn the faith and to live the faith. And and that I, it kind of reminds me of um, a people who were impacted by going to an apparition site. Right. And then they come back, and like the the entire idea of being converted as a Catholic and living your Catholic faith today is connected to that apparition. Does that make sense? Right. Yes, it does. And I do think, I see sometimes that in seminaries, et cetera, where what's happened was this man has been uh, intellectually convinced and is on fire for the truth of the faith, but maybe not have had a real encounter with Christ in terms of the spirituality or prayer. And so, again, the, the, old, the old tag is, you know, he, fell, he fell in love with the church but not with Christ. And, and so it, there's nothing wrong with, you know, the, the plus side of that. But it's not going to be, it's not the main thing in terms of that, that, that personal relationship. And so it could, that could help for that and it could some, clear some ground for that. But it's, it's, not, it's more than that. And so I, I do think that it's not, you're not going to convert everybody with, uh, you know, stunningly rational arguments that are, you know, put the, put the enemy silent. It just doesn't quite yeah. work that way. Oh, absolutely. Like, how many converts do I have from my apologetic work, right? Yeah. Versus how I've lived my life, walked with them together, and, and invited them in a moment of, you know, their situation or need to open their lives to Christ and to receive His, you know, His personal drawing close, um, you know, real transformation. Uh, but I, I know the type. I know the type where apologetics becomes the, the sort of the hammer. Um, of how they present the faith. And that's not going to serve someone when they're trying to um, reconcile or restore a relationship or um, experience inner healing or um, walk with someone with compassion. Um, And so it's... But at the same time, let's let's circle back and then we'll finish this point, um, how critically needed it is today with the onslaught of anti-gospel lies, anti-Catholic lies, and even cleverly presented false Catholic ideas about the faith and how apologetics is a hedge of defense against that. Would you speak to that just one more time briefly? Well, that's certainly true that that it's not—you mentioned it removes obstacles, it defends against the air. It's not the thing itself, it's not the relationship with Christ itself— but it does. It's it, it's a means to that end, and it's a necessary means to an end. And I do think that that's why I think that high school camp is probably pretty good because oftentimes the education in itself is is filled with you know at least implicitly anti-Catholic messages. Uh, they're going against these days, especially the nature the nature of the human person, um, again the nature of reality and the universe. So there's there's ways in which that the people who the young people who are in part of this church. Um, they struggle with that because the formation is actually anti-Catholic. And so to be able to have um, answers for them is important, just so just to reassure them, to remove that obstacle so they can go forward in the relationship with Christ. Yeah, I love that. And um, i, I got to say, just it's funny, last night at dinner time, we were talking about, um, we have a ninth grade daughter that is going to Chesterton, um, she's leaving the Oaks and going to Chesterton now that she's in high school. And um, Chesterton's a Catholic academy, classical Christian academy out here in Spokane. The Oaks is a classical Christian academy, um, which we love in many ways. But one of the differences is that 
well, Chesterton's Catholic. And so we just started talking about some of their experiences of um, the need to defend their faith at the Oaks, which has been a gift because my daughter was like, well, you know, is the uh, is the Immaculate Conception in the Bible? And uh, that she was conceived without sin and that she never sinned. And, you know, a couple of my kids jumped in and said, well, you have, uh, you know, the Annunciation scene, Hail Mary, full of grace, and the word full of grace and what that means in Greek. And I'm like, dang, this is pretty cool. Yeah. But then my son jumped in and said, yeah, it's also the Magnificat where uh, Mary proclaims, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And that has been seen, that phrasing, is a way of saying something about the nature of her soul, that it's traced back to the idea that there was something very specially graced and given to her at her the level of her soul when she was preserved from experiencing original sin. Yeah. I had never heard that before. I thought yeah. it was fascinating. Well, I'm glad that you're learning from your children, Tom. That's good. <laughs> Shouldn't we? Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, I just thought that was cool that, you know, I'm not saying my kids are, are great apologists, but they have definitely um, uh, grabbed onto the idea that they need to be able to know their faith and be able to present it and hear, you know, not crazy people, but people who are very convicted about their faith present beliefs that are saying, we believe this, and this is against the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church is wrong in this. Right, and they have, they have the ability to come back, and that that takes some training and effort and study and practice and the ability to articulate it, and that's one of the great gifts, honestly, and I think that's one of the gifts of Sacred Heart Radio, you know, with the number of um, programs that are apologetic, based in nature, yes. that provide answers to people who come on and ask these burning questions. So that that's just clearly one of the gifts that uh, it's so helpful that people on Sacred Heart Radio are able to access. So. And I think that, that, that what it gives us oftentimes is self-confidence um, because some, I think it's a, a gift that we Catholics often need. Um, we love our faith or whatever, but the self-confidence to be able to say, what I'm, what I'm believing and teaching is not made up. It has, it's well grounded in scripture and tradition. And, and if I know that, um, again, it gives me a confidence that is very useful in handing on the faith and evangelizing, not even doing it in terms of apologetics, but simply to know that um, there's a foundation there and there's background there that I, I'm standing on firm ground. And so when I offer them prayer or, again, my witness of the faith, I'm doing that with a background of strength and confidence in who I am and what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And, and even just like to, to finish that point, and then we'll take a break, is uh, living your life. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not just I'm able to answer questions when people ask me, but when I end up having internal questions about is my faith true? Is it good? Is it beautiful? Is it what's real as I face very challenging circumstances? That is an incredible gift. Mm-hmm. Right. So, all right. Thanks for the We'll be back in a minute with more Sound Insights. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that As a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. 
You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran with Father Kurt Nagel. Hey, Father, uh, how's, how's your summer going? I, I know we talked to last week. Uh, and he, as you're now right in the middle of your summer, uh, Father Lewis is enjoying his time at a summer camp. Uh, do you find that this is a time to recharge, restore, refresh, all of that? Oh, yes. I I always enjoyed summer in parishes. Um, it's not that I'm purely not because I'm lazy, uh, but the sense of um, I have some more evenings free. Sometimes that means I can go to parishioners and spend more time with parishioners in their houses, et cetera, or just, again, sometimes spend evenings alone reading or whatever it is. But there's just a little bit more breathing room. And it's kind of, I can almost see the end of it in a sense. This is uh, August and heading towards mid-August. So, But it's still there. I'm still in the midst of it. So um, it's kind of the, I think the passion, the parish life is, there's a quasi-academic sense to it. First off, there is in the sense that the school's out in summer, and that, that relieves some of the uh, questions or the, the issues that pop up. But the whole, you know, parishes kind of slow down sometimes in the summer in terms of uh, meetings and commission uh, and boards and all these sort of things. They're, they're typical week or monthly meetings. So I do find it a relaxing time, and it's been a good summer so far. Here on the on the west side, we've had really, frankly, good weather compared to most of the country, and it's just been a pretty glorious summer. That's awesome. That's really, really uh, great to hear. So when you do things that you find restorative or refreshing, what does that look like? For me, again, um, I, I I like to—I'm a reader. I'm a voracious reader, so— if, if you were to simply, okay, you got a night off. What do you want to do with your night off? You want to go to the Mariner game? You want to go see a play? You want to go to hike you know, all day? I'd say, no, I think I'm just going to read a book. Um, and boring. I'm sure most people would think about that. But I find it very, you know, just a, my book's back up on my shelf that I want to read. I, and I just kind of hang out with friends. And that's what restoring looks like to me. It's, it's not very active and that's in sort of a physical sense. Um, it's more like, okay, uh, engaging, meeting with some friends or reading a book quietly. And um, that's just kind of a hobbit existence. I, I think that would be, I mean, have you done like assessments? Are you an introvert more than an extrovert? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm more of an introvert. I can fake being an extrovert when it's necessary, but yeah, I'm an introvert. No, it's so funny because, uh, you know, introverts find like, social interaction to be draining sure. and time alone to be more uh, refreshing and like filling. Yes. Uh, you prefer to engage with folks uh, less in a party setting and more in a oh, more yes. intimate setting. It's just a few folks to be able to have uh, conversations that can go deeper. Yeah. A simple dinner or something like that. But I, you definitely, I'm, I'm a, I would fit the description of an introvert. And as I said, as a pastor, some there's, Times you have to put it, go out there, and um, you're you're with people in large events, and that's fine. I can I can do that, but it's not something that I would seek out in terms of okay, I have some free time. Let's go. Let me go find a party to go to, especially with people I don't know. That'd be wonderful. That's not my attitude. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like you, Father. It's so fin- it's so funny, and it'd be great to have Father Lewis here because he'd be saying like, oh, "That's my purgatory," right? Yeah. So he is. He's a very active priest and is spending himself in external things to like stir the faith in others and all of that. And he finds a lot of life in that. I'm not trying to speak for him, but that's 
certainly how I see him uh-huh. uh, on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, that's a blessing. And uh, having your, your temperament is also a blessing. Did you have to, uh, did you have to find yourself sort of dying to self to be able to exercise daily life as a priest? Because it's, it's very much the, the life of an extrovert as it's given, not necessarily how you have to live it, but right. as it's given. I think, you know, at some level, um, but again, as you say, God's grace is there. And, uh, and I, I wouldn't say I'm an extreme introvert. And so it's, I, I think I can interact well with staff and, and the people as, as a whole. It's just that, you know, when you ask the question of, okay, what restores you, it's, it's not going to amongst a bunch of strangers and making new friends. It would be home with a book, you know. And so that, that's kind of the dead giveaway. But I have not. But and people do say, "Oh, you must be so lonely as a priest and stuff because you live by yourself." I said, "Are you kidding me? I'm not lonely. I have people all around me. I, that's my refuge. Thank you." It's like, oh, please um, leave me there for a little bit. So that's there, but it's it, I don't have to sort of drag myself to the coffee and donuts or something. Um, so, but you're right. It's 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 a little bit of a against the grain, so to speak. But, you know, again, he, he, he gifts the called, so. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply this in a way that is totally unexpected to you, I'm guessing. All right. So I'm talking to my older girls who are at home right now and mentioning getting married because my oldest daughter flew to Ohio for a friend's wedding, and she's like, I swear, this is the sixth wedding among my friends this summer. She's 23. And so her friends are kind of various ages, mostly older than her, maybe her age, maybe one younger. But it's in that stage and age where everyone's kind of finding their spouse and getting married. Right. And so the sort of the traditional conversation comes up, how do you get to your spouse? Do you go looking or do you wait and God brings the spouse to you? And there's definite tendencies in my kids' responses one of my daughters is like, you got to just put yourself out there. You got to find out where they are, and you got to go show up, and you got to mingle, and got to go find them. And the other side is another daughter of mine saying, you know what, God, God's got my spouse in my hands, in His hands, and at the right time and in the right way, we'll connect. So I don't have to force it. I don't have to try hard. I just have to pray and live my life. And you know what, God's going to connect us. Mm-hmm. So where do you stand on that? And that that has to do with this idea of kind of like introvert extrovert, but it, it's kind of applying it to a really big deal. Like, I, if I feel called to be married, how do I? This is especially, I think, for women more than men. Yeah, how do I get in front of? How, how does God get the the one for me to me? Well, um, again, so this does not apply to me personally, Tom. So I'm not looking. Um, but I would say I think it's really there. There's a the question itself is a little is, is not accepting the, p- the people who they are. I I think that both of those people, the, the daughters you mentioned, that's probably their temperament. I suspect, and and I would go with it to be honest. It's, at least at some level, um, it's it's true that if you hide your ways, you know, if you say I'm called to marriage, I, th- I really am discerning that. But I think I'll just wait at home and, and wait for somebody that I don't know to come and knock on my door. Um, because God's going to send him. Um, I do think there, there's some sense of which, well, I have to be, you know, I, I have to be in the world and do the things that I want me to, to do. But I, I do think, again, that, that might be the, just the introvert in me talking, right? Um, so, but I do think that 
it, yeah, I think you have to be do what you're comfortable doing. Um, I, I think that some people love to they love to go out and socializing and just see open say meet the more the more people I meet the more chances I have to meet the the right one. Um, okay, but even so, there's some limitations. Where am I going to meet the right one? Um, you know, again, where, what 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 pool am I fishing in? And so there's 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 limitations and exclusivity there, no matter what I think I, for a healthy discernment process of uh, possible spouses. But I'm not sure that there, I would I would get on either of them in terms of um, you're doing it wrong, because I think it does some of it is coming back down to temperament and personality, and and I let them do what they want to do in terms of um, what they feel most comfortable with and what they feel confident with. Um, if that changes for somebody, they haven't found somebody yet. Okay, well, let them discern that. Okay, great. I love that. That's a great answer. I hadn't thought of that. I'm going to go back and bring that to them. Uh, the second part of that is uh, the. I'm going to talk about the ultimate like spouse that is for you. I think we've had this conversation before, but it's relevant to bring it up now. So Jesus. You know, calls everyone to be his disciple. And within that, there's a more special call to be among the 72, even a more special call to be among the 12. And then last Sunday, even a more special call to be the three, Peter, James, and John, who have this special association with events in the life of Christ. And I call that a density of specificity. Uh-huh. And so um, what I've come to, and it's, it's me shifting, but I've come to is this idea that Oh, if God's called you to be married, there are many who are simply called to find a spouse that will be compatible to be able to achieve the purposes of marriage. Like, let's get to heaven, let's make each other saints, let's be faithful to the Church and to the Lord, and let's live our lives together. So it's not, there's one out there for me, and this is the one. But rather, you know what? We're on the same path. We can, let's, do you want to walk this path together? Mm-hmm. And then basically there's greater density to that as you go forward to the idea that some have such calls that are so specific, so special, uh, and have such specific purposes associated with them that God made you for me and me for you. And that's the one that God has for you, and your call is to wait for that one. Mm. And so what do you think about that theory of who God has for you in the married vocation? And um, uh, it just could, what, what would be our thoughts about it? That's an interesting, interesting idea, and it's it's the stuff of you know you can do all sorts of um, literary theories in terms of writing novels and things about these sort of questions. Uh, I would think, or, or uh, but I do think that it all goes back down to the discernment piece. Uh, you'll find your own call by you know, again what we were just talking about of how active or how. Um, uh, contemplative, meditative, I, am I in, in terms of, so I use, I'd even use those terms in terms of, again, religious life has the active versus the contemplative, these, these sort of different degrees of what that same call is. And maybe that would be an analogy to married life as well, that there are different, different forms of this particular call, some of which are more active and the sense of, again, using use the word density, but I would just simply say that, um, the pool, uh, you know, how many people are being called to this? That means it's a broader pool, and therefore, um, my my chances, you know, again, I'm not I'm not required to look for these this this and this specific um, characteristic in my spouse. I I am called to certain 
specific characteristics, but not to, there's a, there's a broader pool, there's a broader, broader spectrum. And I think that, or not, and maybe you say, no, I, I, I'm not for everybody, and not everybody's for me, and there's, there is a, a, a very specific certain sets of characteristics that, I, that are going to work in, in my call to married life. But again, I think that it just happens in terms of your own discernment of potential members. Of, um, you, if that's the case, then, then if you're honest with your discernment with God, there are going to be fewer, and it's going to be more likely that you're going to, have, you're going to run into somebody without having to actively pursue it. I, I don't know okay. if I've answered the question at all. but No, but, no, that does. That, I really like that, because you took something that could be simply something that was like remaining at that higher level and said, no, it still comes down to determine whether your call is like as specific as the little flowers mom and dad getting married, or right. whether it's a more general, we have the same vocation and we can make this work. Still, that's a discernment question, not a practical like let's write stuff down on a piece of paper and say, yep, the formula adds up. Right. So you still have God in the midst of it. Even if it's God, say, sort of giving permission. Right. Um, saying, yes, I, I, I will work with you in this. Right. So, yes. Okay, then last question on this. Um, so I've got, we're having a countdown a couple weeks before I'm sending off my kids back to college. I've got four headed to Franciscan University this year. Ta-da. Wow. And so, yeah, pray for me. And so um, two freshmen, two boys are going to be freshmen. And um, we last night started having the conversation about, do we get to date in college? First of all, I'm happy the fact that they're asking me that question. You know, do we have your permission to date in college? And so my wife and I are saying, uh, we said no. <laughs> we said not the first year. And, uh, and they said, why? That doesn't make any sense. And so it just led into an interesting conversation about, well, what's the purpose of dating? What does dating actually look like? Um, how is this going to help you? If, you know, and so then it just came down to the sort of the theology or vision of dating as, well, it's, it's for those who, are, who have a call to marriage, who are ready to pursue that call and are discerning whether or not this person is the right one to enter into that path to potentially get married. So that's a very, let's call it a high uh, understanding of dating. Right. You could strip it all the way down to, well, yeah, it's just, you know, two of us being sort of more or less friends and going out spending time together, but just doing it not just in groups or primarily in groups, but also having time ex- exclusive. And, um, and then, so then the conversation goes to, yeah, do you realize the stress, pressure, strain, dynamic, and energy that's going to happen when you guys uh, experience a privacy, private time, exclusive time, and, uh, and then how that drive is going to be ever more towards that, and that's just not going to lead to chaste, life-giving behavior, which you're going to regret later on. So... Uh, do you have any thoughts? Because I'm, I'm guessing, again, people come to you and say to you, my kids want to date. What should I do about it? Um, what, what's your guidance for me? So I'm coming to you. What's your guidance for me? <laughs> well, first of all, I, I think that you are probably a, a small percentage of, of parents who have, get that question asked in college, because I do think that that would be unusual um, in terms of um, usually I, that question would come up, you know, late middle school or, or high school. Um, and so, and I'm sure there are some parents out there who are envious of your situation um, in terms of, of all of that. 
I think, but I think part of my question is going to be, well, I don't know, but, but I think one of the, the a principle that I would have is, you know, is this dating with a purpose in the sense of there's a time limit on dating, I think, uh, w- with a person. Um, it's either going to lead to marriage or it's not going to lead to marriage. And, and I think that there's a time limit there in terms of even of, okay, it, not absolute, but in terms of chase dating and, and what this is going to look like, how much can you expect and how long is this going to last before it ends in, naturally ends into this marriage? Or there should be a discernment out. Uh, you know, again, we're talking about discerning out of a seminary. But there's also discernment out of relationships. And, and I do think that this, I think this should happen more rapidly than, um, and I think it, it does happen more rapidly than most people um, will admit. Because I think sometimes people, if you're still dating somebody for a year and you still don't know whether you want to marry them or not, and it's a, then that's a probably a complicated relationship. And I tend towards thinking, eh, I don't know. Um, you, you probably would figure that out by now if this was what God wanted to do. I get my whole point is I do think that are you ready to get married within X number of months or years? Is this is what are we talking about here? And to be d- dating seriously before that is is kind of setting you up for as you say these pressures and these these challenges and obstacles to virtuous life. So I do think there's there's the element of saying okay what is what does freshman dating look like? You know what's its purpose and and what's going to really happen here? Um, again I. I have never gotten very specific in terms of pastorals, thinking, you know, this person should or should not date. But I do think it's worthwhile saying, you know, is it really realistic to think that I'm going to meet somebody in freshman year, wait till I get my degree and get married, and then when I have a career, et cetera, but we're not going to really be sexually active for the next four years. And But this is a person that God wants me to marry. Um, in the sense of I th- I've discerned this, um, that's, cha- that's, that's a pretty big challenge, I would say. Yeah, I agree. Well, and honestly, that's why we're sending them to Franciscan University. That's why we're sending them together. That's why they're going to be roommates, because we want them to be an environment that will support and encourage and hold them accountable to Catholic ideals, godly ideals, the ideals that we've instilled in them, and that we know deep down they actually also want. They're just bumping up against the fact that they are late teen, going into college, lots of freedom, and yeehaw, this is going to be uh, you know, uh, fun because we have a chance to do things that we just didn't get to do at home. So we're hoping that and counting on the fact that being at a, uh, a university of Catholic university like Franciscan university is actually authentically Catholic and they are much more tuned and the kids that are going there are much more tuned to the idea that they are called to chastity. They want to live chastely and um, they will help kind of create conditions to make it easier uh, to be chased and harder to fall into sin. That is just a critical, critical decision for parents. Yeah. You can't just stop shepherding them until they leave your home. You've got to get them at least, if they're going to go to college, at least through college so that they can um, you know, be set up for success as they move into the world. Well, I think that the fact that this is still a, a workable situation and you see it uh, that way, I think this is a probably, a, again, I said probably envious of a lot of your listeners who have not had that, that smooth of a, and I'm sure it's not always been smooth, but that's successful of that guidance. So, um, again, congratulations on that. 
that's so funny. I just, I never thought of it like that. <laughs> um, honestly, I haven't thought about, oh, I want to share this out loud because then folks will say, wow, he's done a good job. Um, I, I, was calling, I, I mean, I'm sharing it because I think it's a pressing issue for a lot of folks who are sending their kids off to college or right now or it's just a living issue because the vision of dating presented on social media and television and shows and popular everything is all sexualized and it's just terrible and demeaning and degrading and impure and all of that and that has effects that has impacts that these young people carry into other relationships and ultimately into their marriage and it's just a terrible thing if it can be preserved so all right father we're up against a break when we come back more sound insight Welcome back to Sunset. This is Tom Carvin. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel. And uh, Father, we we just we kind of floated from this uh, one topic into this other one, where uh, helping me get some guidance around uh, discernment, dating, marriage, vocation, and all of that. Yes. Um, you know, one of the ways that I I do feel a call. This is now connecting us back to prayer. Is um, uh, a custom that you've probably heard about, you know, regularly from you know, the Catholic speakers who come in, and that's pray for your future spouse, parents, right. pray for your kids' future spouses. And to not just think of that as a kind of a cute idea or you say it once, but the point we ended with, the point we ended with about um, the damages that come, I see that connected to this issue. So have you recommended that before, and what are your thoughts on why that's important? I do. I, first off, I, th- I think it's a great, a great idea. Um, have I recommended it? Maybe, maybe occasionally. Uh, it hasn't been a major theme, but I have heard of it um, quite a bit. And I do think that there's something valuable there. And I like to think that uh, to do that, in some sense, um, there, there might be at some point in the future for this young person, whoever, a sense of recognition when you do meet that person. Um, that it's not this person's not a stranger, although you know exteriorly a stranger, and yet God might allow you to have this recognition. Though know, this isn't a stranger, this is the person I've been praying for. Um, so again, it might help even in the discernment aspect. That would be my suspicion in terms of the way God works. So that you know, again, not only because it's good for this person, and you're already you're supposed to be getting this person, helping this person to heaven, but even in terms of discernment and openness to of your soul to. Um, to get that that bond that you you've already formed prayer wise before it becomes um, again outwardly in the outward world uh, a meeting of persons, and so again I think that would be a, a, a great idea in that way. Well, I remember there was a parent who came up to me after one of these events where I talked about that, and she said I think it was a woman she said that she was specifically praying for the. Um, like the purity, modesty, and chastity of her kids' future spouses. Um, and if she could be a help in that, uh, for her or she and her husband could be a help, like one of the greatest ways she's going to be helping her kids is by praying for like a growth in faith, a sustained faith, a living faith, and the healing and protection of the of the future spouses, because God knows where they are. God knows exactly where they are. And, who knows the incredible blessings and benefits that will come to their lives, their future spouses' lives, through your prayers and fasting and penance and all these other things. And um, who knows? They, they may never know, right? They'll never know 
the the blessings that, that came to them or the damage that they were protected from or preserved from because of you. And I was just like, dang, I was inspired by that. Yeah. I do. You're talking about parents of children doing that. And that's yeah. powerful. But from what you just said there, I, I think that's in the terms of the person, the young person, him or herself, I think it's great if you want to say training, but it's not really training because it's, it's an early start on something you're supposed to be doing in marriage anyway, right? Um, helping the other person spiritually through prayer and protection and these sorts of things. And therefore, you're already forming oneself, yourself, in terms of what a married life looks like. You're starting that vocation already, even though, again, kind of a novitiate of the, of the uh, sacrament of matrimony. I like that. Actually, that, that kind of makes me come back to, to your time in the seminary. And, you know, it's, it's not that, you know, you're marrying the Church, or if you want to use that kind of symbolism, but you had specific parishes that God knew where you would be. Uh-huh. Did you ever have them in mind regarding the way you lived your life in the seminary? Did it impact your prayer, how you studied, how you chose to live? Uh, did you ever find yourself praying for your future parish? You know, I have to say I didn't. I, I can't remember doing that. I, I don't think I was that deep. Um, I, I think that I had heard the, the idea of marrying, uh, praying for your future spouse even back in the, the dark ages of the 1990s. But I don't, th- I don't recall praying for my future parishes. Or No, that was, that was beyond me at that point, I think. Yeah, it's. Um, I don't know where I picked up on that idea, but it's something that was um, more than a little impactful on how I spent my five years in the seminary. Because I would often face, I don't want to do this. This is oh, this is a burden. This is a pain. No, I need to do this for my future parish. And the idea was, if I'm going to, um, if I'm going to think that all of a sudden I'm going to be this sort of holy person who lives a certain way in the future, I'm, I'm, I'm creating an illusion, right? Not, don't just think I'm going to live now a certain way, and then all of a sudden I'm ordained and magic happens, and all of a sudden I'm going to be holier or more um, fervent in living my faith. But instead, it's like, no, no, how you live now is going to be how you live then. So live it now. Yeah. That, that was sort of the... The thing that me. Well, you know, I was just thinking the last couple of seconds here, why did I not do that? I think, you know, honestly, I think that I probably would be more likely to do that if I knew that I was going to be a pastor of one parish for most of my life. You know, in the old days, in some places still, if you settle into a parish, you're there for many, many decades, unless something else goes wrong or you ask to be moved. I think consciously, or I think, no, subconsciously, I was thinking, oh, I'll be in many parishes. You know, I, I'm not going to be married to a parish. I'm going to get moved all around all the time. And and so I think that would probably take it away. I think if I knew that I'll be a parochial vicar here someplace and then I'll get my parish. Uh, John Vianney was, you know, he was in ours for how many decades. And I think that would have probably changed my attitude a little bit. And I, again, I'm not sure that's an argument for or against the personnel uh, philosophies. But I, I do think that's part of the reason, you know, Again, for my my attitude towards that, that didn't bother you. You had a better sense of that, but for me, I think that was part of it. So what's funny is you say that that was never in my mind. I didn't think about praying for all of the parishes I would ever be in if I were ordained. It was just really focused on the first one. Oh. So that's funny, uh, and maybe it was that specificity that kind of 
you know, stirred my zeal. I don't know. But, um, you know, I, anyways, we're up against the break. When we come back, I've got one more question around that for you. Back in a minute with Sound Insights. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Carmel with Father Kurt Nagel, and we're talking about, well, talking about Father Nagel and uh, <laughs> this idea of praying for parishes. Um, one of the phrases that I used to pray when I was praying for Carrie before I met her and knew her was, Lord, prepare me for her and prepare her for me. So that idea of kind of carve in my heart this space, form in my life, the attitudes and habits, um, help me to have a sense of openness to the the features and qualities and personality that Carrie brings with her, um, and you know spirituality, lifestyle, things she's interested in. So that there would be this mutual sense of openness to each other, so that there would be this space to be able to be drawn to each other and be willing to say we will want to give ourselves to each other, right? In marriage. So that idea of prepare me for her and prepare her for me, um, I've, I've found that really helpful as a, as a means of praying. And I guess the same could be true about parishes. Prepare me for the priesthood that you have for me and the parishes you have for me and prepare them to receive me. I, I, I agree. Um, but I know if, in terms of my personal uh, personal prayer life. I, I just didn't, I don't think I, I think I, I asked the Lord to prepare me to be a priest and even to be a pastor in such ways. But the idea for this particular parish, I think that's, again, for the same reasons I just mentioned, I, I didn't see these parishes as potential spouses, so to speak, in terms of, um, these are, this is going to be my partner for the, the next X number of years and therefore prepare the parish for me and me for this parish. It was much more general and unfocused, I think, for me. And it's, yeah, again, for better and worse, I suppose. Um, but that 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 idea wasn't there. And I, again, well, I, what a, what about just thinking about it in terms of like right now, either in terms of guidance that you give to um, uh, you know people who are either praying for or uh, you know praying for their future spouses or for seminarians or even for you as you move forward, like. Lord, prepare me for no. I think, I think I, no, I think that's a that's a, a good idea. I and I think it's something, especially I think especially seminarians um, start to think about. Okay, I'm going to be assigned to this parish or or a parish. We usually don't know before too you know very long beforehand. But the idea of preparing me for the specific shape and needs of this group of people, this community. Um, I think that's, again, it's a great thing to take into prayer. I, again, I did not myself do it, but that doesn't mean that it's not a great idea. And especially, I think, in terms of it's a way to actually articulate and make concrete that idea of praying for your spouse. It's, it's a matter of preparation for opening space. So I can, this person has a, this person has a personality, has a history, has a spirituality, and let me be open to that and not try to assert my own. All right, so Father, we have just a few minutes left. I'm going to ask you, you, you talked about um, being able to uh, access more reading these days. Yeah. Um, okay, so among all the things that you've read, what do you want to draw attention to? What was something that either you learned, a new insight, a new historical fact, something very interesting that just grabbed your attention? Total open, open page here. What, do you, what would you like to just say, hey, here's something interesting. 
Well, I'm reading an interesting book, and to, to say I'm going to be hesitant about the the recommendation because I have put a few few caveats on here, but it's a book called by Louise Perry called "The Case Against the Sexual Revolution." Have you ever heard of that, Tom? Uh, you actually mentioned it a couple oh, yeah. weeks ago, right? So I it's but it's a it's a book by a secular I would say progressive feminist from England who's writing against the sexual revolution, just simply saying, hey, looking at the evidence and, and, the, and what's happened here, this has been a really bad thing for women. And, and she occasionally, you know, not occasionally, she periodically says, I'm not, you know, basically says, I'm not a Christian. We don't want to go back to those horrible patriotic people. But everything she says actually points out the wisdom of the Catholic Church's spiritual, sexual, you know, marriage doctrines. It's incredible, actually, and and she's very fervent about this, and she comes with great secular credentials in trying to put this out there. I think it would be a great book for some people to hand to some of their college-age students or daughters. The, the, the caveat is this is not coming from a Christian's perspective, and so the language is certainly not PG-13. She's trying to be authentic in those terms way. So the, the language is sexualized some ways when she makes comments or jokes and things like that. So that's that's out there. So you know, beware of that. But if you have someone who is coming from in, in coming from a faith perspective, would raise defenses against the church's teaching. This would be a great beginning and say, let's let's read this book together. It's not coming from a faith perspective, but at least it is showing some of the you know consequences and the truths of this this way of looking at marriage, sexuality, and reproduction. So that's been a very powerful book, and it's. I think it's again, it has a lot of potential. I love that, and does, I think that probably goes as like maybe a compliment to that book we read, which was what's it called, like the Sexual State. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Jennifer Rohrbach Morse. Right. Um, yeah. So that's interesting. I now that you said this twice and you brought that up, I actually want to read that book. Well, thanks yeah. for that recommendation, Father. All right. All right. Believe it or not, folks, we're at the end of our program. I really appreciate you being with me. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insights.